Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. So what are you supposed to do between each Engadget podcast? Wait in silence? I'm Matt Smith, and every morning I walk through the day's biggest tech stories. It's short, relevant, and ready for listening whenever you wake up. Find Engadget Morning Edition wherever you find your podcasts, or ask your smart speaker for the latest news from Engadget. What's up, Internet, and welcome back to the Engadget Podcast. I'm Senior Editor Devendra Hardwar. I'm Deputy Editor Sherlyn Lowe. And today it's, uh, what else would it be? It's all Apple. We're going to be talking about everything Apple showed off at their peak performance event. Uh, there was not much uh, peaking, P-E-E-K-ing going on, which is <laughs> kind of a, yeah, it, it is more of like actual peak P-E-A-K performance. Yeah. Uh, Apple just kind of threw us for a loop there. Uh, but we'll be talking about all that stuff and some news from Google and other folks too. As always, if you're enjoying the Engadget podcast, please be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever you get podcasts. Uh, leave us a review on iTunes. That's always super helpful. And you can join us uh, Thursday mornings at 10 a.m. Eastern on the Engadget YouTube channel where we record a live stream of the show. So you can see it happening in action. You could talk with some folks. We do some live Q&A sometimes. It's always a fun time. So this week, it's Apple week. We've got news about a ton of new hardware from Apple. Not like... I don't know where you'd put this. This is like a B-level Apple event because there is important stuff here or some new products, but not like the stuff that will change most people's lives, uh, you know, and we'll be talking about all that stuff. We've got the new iPhone SE. We've got the Mac Studio, uh, the M1 Ultra chip, all that fun stuff. Uh, Sherlyn, you've already talked about this quite a bit on our like post-event yeah. recap. What is, you know, now that you've had a couple of days with the, with the news, uh, what are your big takeaways so far? I think what you said right off the bat was like, what a great way to describe it, right? Because mm -hmm. it's not the it's not the, the the event that unveiled the devices of everyone's dreams. So I feel like people were disappointed that there was no new MacBook Pro, mm -hmm. uh, no new like flagship level iPhone. This is definitely not the time of year for the iPhone 14, but no. people somehow it's not the time were of year for new MacBook Pro either, right? Like we just got yeah. new MacBook Pros in the fall, so. You got a 14 exactly. inch and 16 inch guys. Enjoy them. The other thing uh, is as someone who like has been prepping uh, Apple coverage ahead of the event and paying attention to some of the, the rumors is that like, yeah, no, this time around, nobody, no one was really right on the money with everything. I mean, we, we more or less knew what to expect uh, Apple to unveil in terms of product categories. We knew an iPhone SE was coming, but we... You know, the rumors were just conflicted as to what form right. it would take, whether it like, would, would it be a new design? Or, would it be, right. yeah, would it be the 10R? Uh, do you want to go over the other rumors or do you just want to dive right into the SE? Because I feel like we've got a lot of thoughts about that. What are your thoughts? I'm curious. Like, I mean, it's yeah. uh, it's fine. Um, I, I think it's always good for Apple to have like an inexpensive phone. That's something we've talked about quite a bit. I'm a big fan of phones getting cheaper and more accessible. Um, it is interesting that they're keeping the old style design, uh, the touch ID yes. sensor is still there, uh, which is personally, I think is like, this is just a way to achieve budget. You know, like Apple has been building those cases for so long. Um, right. They require like 
less demanding displays and like case design in general than the all glass yeah. uh, iPhones that they're cheaper to make. So that totally makes sense. I am uh, I am surprised that uh, they went ahead and just put the uh, the new uh, <laughs> mobile chip in there, A15. right? The A15, A15 is in there, yeah. and that is pretty wild because that chip debuted just a couple months ago. So it's yeah. wild to me that Apple is like putting the best uh, mobile silicon it has uh, yes. in a sensibly a budget phone. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've, this is something that's been Apple's strategy with the SE series for a little bit. I mean, you know, the last SE had the A13, which at that time was brand new-ish as well. That was um, like two years S- ago, right? Yeah. Yes, it was in 2020. The SE 2022 or the SE3, whichever way you prefer to call it. Um <laughs> You know, I I think it's sort of designed to last you longer uh, than the the usual iPhone cycle, I guess. Because, like, first of all, Apple only has released one every two years so far. But the other thing is people who opt for a phone like this aren't likely to be dropping money all the time on a new phone to refresh it. And not that people who buy flagship phones do that either, but... You know, people in this category maybe are a little bit more price conscious and less less likely to upgrade every year. And so it's, a future-proof phone is mm-hmm. definitely important. It's the more sensible option, too. And I can imagine, I haven't looked at, like, deals from carriers, but this is one where I'm sure a lot of carriers would be like, hey, just switch to us. We'll give you this phone for free, right? It is so cheap that carriers right. can kind of, like, eat some of the cost of that and use it as a way to tempt people in. And that's good for Apple, too, because it keeps people in the iPhone ecosystem. So kind of everybody wins. Um I, are you disappointed <laughs> that they didn't change the design or anything, Sherlyn? Um, one of my my things coming out of uh, this news was that I was like, oh, long live Touch ID. I love Touch ID. I think a fingerprint sensor has its place in a modern phone. Maybe its place is not below the screen because that screen is still tiny as hell. It's a 4.7 inch HD screen. HD, 730p. What the crap? It's 2022. But anyway, I'm going <laughs> to... What You know what? Let me they know what you think. They can't make it too think. good. They can't make it too yeah. good. That's the other thing. Yeah. The other specs on here are kind of strange, but I'll get to that in a little bit. I, I, I want to quickly touch on what you were talking about, which is like this being a cheap phone. I think that when you said that the, like carriers, you know, will have a way to like toss this in as a free phone with a two-year plan, that sort of style. I think, you know, we also should be cognizant of the fact that like obviously carriers get deals from Apple on these phones and they're not going to be $400 for the carriers. They're going to be a lot cheaper too. Um, but as at $429, uh, the iPhone SE 2022 is $30 more expensive than last the right. last model, right. which is which Sam Rutherford on our recap show uh, mentioned that that phone, the 399 iPhone SE, was a little underpriced actually. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. so I while I don't like that there's a price hike, I do appreciate that this is still like a sub 450 phone. The Pixel 5a costs 450. Um, the OnePlus, I'm sorry, the Galaxy A52 5G, which is still the latest A series, it's a $500 phone. So I'm surprised Apple and is undercutting on price. For sure. I think the last one came as the pandemic was like just beginning to, right? I forget where exactly yes. that landed. So like now they're facing more pressures in terms of like production and stuff too. So true, it makes sense true. that the price could get a little higher. Has the camera changed at all? I still see one camera in the back. I yeah, think the sensor yeah. they it's said a- or something <laughs> would be better. Yeah. No, no, <laughs> it's a 12. Well, I have to look uh, again at the, the specs because I was comparing various different phones to each other uh, last night. And the iPhone SE 2020 has a single rear 12 megapixel camera up front. And there's a seven megapixel uh, camera for selfies. Um, and I compared it, I think, with the last generation of iPhone SE as well as this generation of the iPhone mini. 
Um, so that that was like mildly confusing to me. But the older iPhone SE had also a single rear 12 megapixel camera. So it does look like almost exactly the same hardware. I obviously would have to ask Apple to confirm if it's exactly the same hardware. But yeah, no, what Apple did say is improving on the photography side of things this year uh, is the A15's ISP right. the, the, and the newer processing, uh, enabling things like live text in your app, uh, in your camera app, uh, as well as things like photographic styles, um, deep fusion, smart HDR4, um, capabilities. So you'll see, I think, some improvement, but sure. not a huge leap. Like the computational side of things is probably better. That makes sense. Uh, you mentioned Maybe faster. The, yeah. yeah. You mentioned the mini, Sherlyn. I feel like that is yeah. the what it, the iPhone family now is SE mini, which is cheaper yeah. than the base 13 and then 13, then 13 Pro and Pro Max. Where, yeah. you know, and the what is the mini starting price? Is that five ninety nine? The mini starts at I thought I believed it was six nine, but I, let me double okay. check it. Yeah, I'm not at that, that stage in my research yet. <laughs> that's definitely the mid range pricing. Um, I do wonder if like people are now thinking like, okay, I wanted something small, but I want a new design. Then you move up to the mini. Um, maybe that could be a thing for some people. It, I mean, it could be. I think the. I think they're the, so the mini is smaller physically in yep. size, but it has a larger screen. It's got like a five inch screen. Um, people I've spoken to for them, the SEM, I'm sure for you too, right? Like if you have someone in your life that's like a dependent on you and then, you know, relies on you for their phone, but like you, you don't necessarily need to spend that much money on a phone for them and they don't need bells and whistles. Then an SE is something that's pretty like a compelling option because it's, it's got a serviceable camera. It's got like not the best screen, but you know who the, who really needs a great screen? Unless of of course, if you have like visual issues, like people who have low vision would benefit from a bigger screen. Um, but at four twenty nine, this is just That's this is just good. a good deal. I'm thinking of like also like I don't know when uh when my daughter is ready for a phone of her own. I don't know what year mm -hmm. that's going to be, but like what would my <laughs> price range be if I if I was to, if she was like ten years old or something and like she needed a phone for emergencies? Would it be this? Would it be the mini? Because kids have small hands too, so it's like I don't. Yeah. I don't know. So the yeah. mini, by the way, starts at six ninety nine, and right, the, the thirteen right. itself starts at seven ninety nine. Um. So so sense. it is a, a jump of about. Two hundred and seventy dollars. Um, I think that's why we'll never see the SE get like a big design upgrade because like the mini. Hey, you want a nice small phone with a new design and a slightly bigger screen? Uh, the mini's right there. Go get the mini. Yeah, Go get the mini. But the, yeah. the problem with these small phones is that like battery life remains a huge concern. And let's not forget the SE this year comes with five G, and it's controversial because it's just sub six five G, which right. means it doesn't support millimeter wave, which means I don't That's know fine. that Verizon was very happy. That's fine. I, I saw some Who tweets. Cares? I don't yeah. think. <laughs> yeah. Did you see some tweets <laughs> just, from Verizon? Uh, yeah, I saw I, some. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I saw some tweets from people who work at Verizon oh. throwing shade. Throwing shade. Uh, was the shade only like accessible where you could see those people? Like, did you have to be in line of sight? <laughs> line of sight. If, uh, if you're a building Dang. over, could you actually get that shade? I'm talking about your millimeter wave, Verizon. <laughs> it's a. Uh, it's I. I, I agree with that assessment, mm -hmm. Devendra, in the sense that, like, why stuff subs why go to the trouble of stuffing millimeter wave into a phone where not Don't everyone either. has equal access and it's not as widely available or accessible? Um, it, I was confused uh, as to whether there was 
support for Mitban. Um, and I spoke with Apple, and yeah, it does seem like there is actually going to be support for Mitban when that's ready that's when those networks. Sub yeah. six and Midband is actually going to make people's lives better. So that's that's fantastic. Uh, those those rare instances where I'm in front of a millimeter wave tower, it is nice. It's like wow, look at this thing I can do. Right, I when love I'm standing millimeter wave when it works. Yeah. right. <laughs> it's wild. Um, another question that people, a couple questions that people were asking during our, our live recap too after Apple's event uh, were around things like ultra wideband support and wireless charging. So the SE does wireless charge, but it does not have like the UWE chip for more precise Find My iPhone or AirTag oh, tracking. Oh, yeah, yeah, so, yeah. So, so yeah, you can't really locate, you know, use the iPhone SE 2022 to locate a lost device in your home down to the nearest bookshelf, but it'll, it can you get a general sound. proximity. You can get yeah. proximity and it makes a sound like it's, it's probably fine for most people. I think, okay, that's it. It's an iPhone SE, folks. So, you know, like if you want it or not, or if you're looking for a phone for your parents or somebody like who, who is not like super tech savvy, but you want them in the iOS ecosystem, that is kind of like where I see that fitting in. Uh, is the iPad, the new iPad Air, I think that's maybe a little more interesting because now it has an M1 chip. It has hardware, or at least chip parity with the iPad Pro, yeah. which is always interesting. And it's still like, you know, a sleek one pound tablet. Um, yeah. Starts at 699 It's beautiful. Yeah. Comes in all these nice colors. Starts at 64 gigs of storage, which by yeah. the way, the SE does too. Ugh. Yeah. Ugh, not a, I'm not a fan of that. Come on. For that price, too. It's like, I I will automatically want to upgrade to the bigger storage. And then it's like, okay, that is, you're adding another $150 to that, you know, device, basically. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm really compelled, though. Mm -hmm. I'm not a fan of the low storage, but like, yeah, you're right. These are interesting machines. Go ahead. I mean, we talked about this when the iPad mini debuted in the fall, right? The iPad mini, that is a... Talk about gadget lust, right? Like I saw oh, that thing. And I was like, it's so cute. It is so adorable. Oh, yeah. It could be my everything device, my little like yeah. note taking device. I could oh, uh, yeah. do a little typing on the side, but really it's just like consuming comics and stuff like that. Um, then we start to hear issues about like the screen, the like jelly scrolling effect on the screen. Ooh, and that, that made me think a little, little bit harder about it. But I'm still like enamored with that device. And now here's the Air, which is a little more expensive, but has an M1 chip. You could get the uh, the cool like folio case and like actually use it for decent typing. So the practical side of me is like I should just just get this eventually because I could do so much more with it. Um, yeah. Where, yeah. Where are you falling on this stuff? I every time I look at an iPad Air or Pro um, in the last couple years, I've been just taken by how gorgeous they appear. The screen on the Pros are just lovely, but, and then yeah. also. Let's not forget Samsung just released a new Tab S8 series, which, by the way, just looks a lot like an iPad physically. Yeah. Um, it's got that same thin metal build. <laughs> gorgeous. You know, like when, I, when I'm thinking about like tablets and stuff, I'm like, okay, which uh, which iPad and stuff, like that's like the Galaxy I'm thinking about. And like this, the Galaxy Tab is over there on the other side of the universe. Really nice tablets. Uh, I still have like a Galaxy Tab S2 that I reviewed, like when oh, that thing was okay. re- announced. And that still yeah. has a beautiful OLED screen. But uh, yeah, Android still not great for tablets. We're getting there. We're yep. able to talk more about it in the later part of this show. But but iPad OS, I mean, seems like it's getting okay. Here's here's a fun nugget. Uh, after each Apple event, one of my favorite things to do is go talk to my therapist about it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Apple therapy seems like it. That's a good little podcast you got right there. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's that's happening. But my my therapist, like, that's one of the 
companies he knows i think he, he uses their products too and he's like oh oh tell me more about what apple did and he himself was looking for a new ipad <laughs> mm-hmm. and i think there's some confusion in in like the the general like public over which ipad is the you know ipad to get and you know he's also been trying to use his ipad air as a macbook replacement because you know he was also longing for a new macbook air um and and he just doesn't find ipad os that useful and i was like oh someone agrees with what we've been it's saying not, it's, i mean it oh. is it depends on what you want right like sometimes if i'm like i just want to go somewhere and like write an, a feature i've been meaning to write for a while on evernote or something i don't want like all the crazy multitasking stuff and i could do and all the distractions from a pc iPad is great. If you want yeah. if you want to just like juggle multiple apps at once and like be as productive as you can be on macOS or Windows, like you're not going to get that. So that's that's kind of the trade-off there. I agree it's confusing because like as I look at this thing, I'm like, okay, then if 64 gigabytes is enough, then I need the 256 gigabyte iPad Air which starts at 749. And then it's like that's that's so close to iPad Pro territory. I should just get exactly. an iPad Pro. I should just like get that Pro Res screen, you know, and like Yeah. It is an escalating uh, thought, you know, thought line that kind of leads me to buying more expensive stuff. I will say for most people, it seems like the iPad Air is best. Uh, for Honestly, for most people, the base the iPad, base iPad. Yep. is fine. It is perfectly great. Great for kids. Uh, put a nice case on that. Um, I it'll feel it'll like, serve you real well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel, And we talked a little bit about this again also on the pre-show, but I feel like the iPad Air or the base iPad and the like smaller iPad Pro, they run the risk uh, of kind of overlapping each other so much that one of them is just going to be discontinued. Like the iPad Smaller Pro or the iPad Air, they're just so close. Right now, the differences are mostly that what the iPad Air has M1. Does the iPad Pro have M1 yet? Well... No, it does. iPad Pro has it M1. It does? Okay. Yeah. As of, um, as of the fall. Um, but no, the big difference is like... Yeah, the, the better screen, the better screen, yes. like some better accessories, I think like some better, better cameras and stuff too, right? So it's just the air is the best balance overall of like, you know, performance and features and everything. But once they put ProRes, like once they put the nice uh, ProMotion, once they put that in the in the iPad Air, like I will, I will be there forever. I'll be, that'll be my happy place. Um, yeah. 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 These look confusing times. Gorgeous. I'm not sure I'm getting one. But there you go. Speaking of, by the way, speaking of gorgeous, I also want to quickly shout out uh, that there were also two new iPhone 13s, a green oh, sure, and sure. an Alpine green. <laughs> green? So. And green or green? Green yeah. or green? Green or green. green, green this green, is green. a color, um, I was like looking at minivans and stuff, like Toyota is using a very similar color for the Sienna. It's called yeah. Midland Green. So like green gadgets are I love it. kind of a thing right now. I don't, I don't know if I love this. Uh, it's fine. I think all the like prefer, metal sheens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I prefer the green on the iPhone 12 um, right, series. Right. It's a little paler. Um, but this one looks nice, too. From the Well, the pictures look boring, I think. <laughs> I feel like, but in person, I think they might sure. look better. It's a it's a green iPhone, folks. What do you what do you want from us? Um, I also want to say before we move on too quickly or forget that Apple also announced Friday night baseballs on TV Plus with the MLB live sports coming to TV Plus for the very first time. So it's a significant deal for them. Yeah, I don't I don't really care about baseball, but I think the idea that you're getting live games right from within Apple TV Plus, like it is kind of a path forward, like maybe. Maybe major league soccer games, maybe international audience, soccer yeah. games for the Ted Lasso audience. Oh, I think a lot of them will also be like, "Man, watching soccer is not as entertaining as uh, no, no, no. watching Ted Lasso." No, no, no. 
Yeah. Oh, well, yes. Compared I to used Ted to play Lasso, soccer. I used to watch soccer games. So, yeah. yes. Yes. It is. Yeah, uh, I agree. I did both. <laughs> Not You need a lot of stamina for either one. Which uh, which of the greens looks most like gum to you, Shirlin? Like gum? Like gum. Neither like, of uh, them look like winter gum. Winter green gum, double mint gum. <laughs> oh, neither of them. They both look olivey. <laughs> if that if that makes sense, they're more like army green, olive green. Um, the 13 Pro has this sort of frosted finish that's similar to the rest of the colors in the 13 Pro lineup. Um, that helps it add this sort of like sheen that might be nice. I don't know. I prefer the a series 12s. The the iPhone 12 series is green, so. But it's definitely better than the uh, Pixel 5a's Sa- uh, the Pixel 5's Sage. Anything else you want to mention about the iPads or the iPhones? Because I want to get into the fun chip stuff. And yeah, that we is... should get into mm-hmm. the highlight of this show. This was an ultra show, wasn't it? All about the ultra. It's all about the ultra. I feel like that should have been the tagline. Just like really, really get us thinking about what it is. But the kind of like the most important thing I think Apple announced is yeah. the M1 Ultra chip. It is it's uh, the company's fastest chip for uh, computers uh, ever. And essentially, it's kind of interesting. It is basically two M1 Max chips, uh, which were the fastest ones that were in the MacBook Pro before. Um, two of those kind of just stuck together because they actually have yeah. this like interpolator uh interpolator uh there's something a die-to-die interconnect called ultrafusion that links the the chips together and that is pretty cool apple says uh that the bandwidth in that layer is up to 2.5 terabytes per second so even though you've got two chips put together there's not like going to be any slowdown in communication between them um, and it is like everything about it just feels like what you get if you put two uh, M1 Maxes together. It's a 20 core CPU with 16 high performance and four high efficiency cores, has a 64 core GPU. Um, it can support up to 128 gigabytes of unified memory. That's 128 gigabytes of RAM. That's not that's not just insane for like um you know, what you'd use in a computer, but also video editing apps um, or or anything or 3D rendering apps will be able to address that memory as video RAM, uh, similar to like what is in a GPU on a PC. So it's like, that is, that's insane. That is a wild amount of addressable memory. And it's going to get really expensive to get to that point, um, which we're looking at the Mac Studio. But this chip is interesting because it's basically like Apple has kind of reached the current limit of what it can do with its five nanometer chip design. So where do you go from there? You, you stick two of them together. It reminds me of the days of like late nineties, early 2000 uh, windows desktops. And even like Macs did this, but you know, dual, dual CPUs, three CPUs, yeah. put them all together. Sure. That's how you yeah. get a little more power. And uh, Apple's essentially recreating that. Do you have any thoughts about this chip? Trillin? It's just like so nerdy. But so powerful. No, the 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 fusion method fusion. sort of draws to mind for me the way like Intel had that like stack architecture thing, right? But it's not the same, obviously. Yeah. It's just for me, it's like okay, I guess that's where we're going with the chips now. Well, so, like, it's like just uh, find more ways to. AMD build has something it called Infinity Fabric, and that's what connects like the GPU portions and the CPU portion of AMD's like Ryzen uh, APUs. Uh, they're those like chips. It connects everything together. So this is becoming more and more important. It's just it is fascinating to see Apple kind of go here so quickly uh, right after they introduce these chips. And also every time we say Ultra Fusion, we just got to go Ultra Fusion like Dragon Ball, please. <laughs> oh, no. And you got to do the dance. We got to do the little dance. 
Never Where's saw uh Dragon Ball. yeah, yeah. Uh Julio, there there's your meme animation <laughs> goal for this episode. Fusion DBZ dance with this gym. Uh but yeah, it is uh it's cool. They're saying it's up to let me see here, up to eight times faster graphics than the original M1 chip. Um it's gonna be because this this thing is like Looks aimed like at it's desktops. Eight times bigger too, by the way. Eight times. I mean, it's, it's two M1 Max <laughs> chips put together. Yeah. So yeah. Um, but this thing is aimed at uh, desktop performance. So like, it's probably not going to be in laptops at this point. Uh, so like, power consumption. They're not aiming to be as power efficient as like they needed to with laptops, but it's still better than co- like competing x86 chips. Um, Apple says it offers up to ninety percent better. Uh, you know power per watt so like the amount of like energy it takes to produce like high performance stuff that's pretty cool uh good chip good chip yummy chips Sounds, yeah i <laughs> it's yummy. a good chip conversation yummy exactly ranch chips are my favorite no i'm kidding um but it did seem like one of my favorite things from after the uh event closed was when we had our post-show recap our live stream viewers were like the next ship will be called the Ultra Superior Hydra or something. Like, I mean, I'm the one that threw that name out there. But there were just a lot of great ideas. Do what do we think? Is is M uh, is M one is Apple done with the M one series? Is the next time it reveals a chip, you know, the M two or does it Probably. have one more M one up its sleeve? Okay. Probably. I feel like uh, Ultra. I don't know how much more plus Ultra plus Hyperbole. plus Ultra. Like yeah. you're gonna go into like uh, was it My Hero Academia basically uh, plus Ultra. That would that would be fun, actually. The My Hero Academia branded M1 chip, uh, but no, this feels like the end of this. Like before they give us an M2 or something like that. Um, I think the main thing we are waiting to see, like, what is going to be the new MacBook Air? That is like the super right. popular computer. That it's a year and a half old now. That was like the first M1 branded uh, MacBook Air, and you know it was it was cool. That was a really cool MacBook Air, but it didn't really change much compared to like previous gen macbook air so it's like we're waiting for a real redesign we're waiting for maybe some new chips in there it may not be an m2 but if it is an m2 we probably won't get it until the fall so we'll see we'll see mm-hmm. there's still time from now until then yeah this chip where's this chip going yeah this chip is going to be in the mac studio there were rumors of the new mac mini but it turns out it's basically this it kind of has the same footprint but it looks like a couple of Mac minis put together. Um, and this thing is kind of a powerhouse too. Like it starts at uh, $2,000 with the M1 Max chip. So that's going to be a 10 core CPU, 24 core GPU. Um, if you want the M1 Ultra chip, that is starting at $4,000 uh, for for that whole thing. Um, I'm just like looking up the pricing here. And the price escalates pretty quickly, like depending on what you, uh, what you add to it. I saw... Um, Mm-hmm. A tweet that the maxed out version, I think it was Marquez that tweeted this, the yep. completely maxed out version of the Mac Studio was like $8,000. It was like seven ninety nine, seven nine nine nine. I'm just looking Crazy. at everything here, which is, that's a lot of money. But also, I think for people who are going to demand this, the kind of performance you could potentially get from a machine like this, uh, that could be useful. But there are also the, uh, you know, it has a lot of ports at the back. It has ports up front. It has like all the stuff a desktop professional would probably need. But it's still a sealed box. Um, it's not like user upgradable in any way. Uh, I hear you can open it just like a lot of other hardware, but you can't really get at much because uh, 
The M1 is a SOC. It's not like the RAM is in there. Like everything is kind of in there. So you can't really do much. Uh, I'm sure people will be able to open it up and maybe get access to the uh, SSDs or something eventually. Uh, but really, this is supposed to be a sealed box. And I think a lot of people are like, they're still waiting for the new Mac Pros, which Apple has been um, talking about for years now. They even hinted at it at the event here uh, this week. And they were like, they're not ready to talk about it yet, but it's coming soon. My bet is probably WWDC, right? For when we hear more I about mean, that. That's what a lot of people said. Um I not I'm not sure. I think mm-hmm. I think they could. Um, but I think there there's every chance that Apple does a dedicated event for it. I just feel like um the way to get developers excited, like the people who are always crying for like better, faster, you know, more geeky Apple hardware is that crowd. So and it's also that's a couple that would probably be a couple months away, so it gives Apple enough buffer time between these devices and something else. Yeah, yeah, we'll see. I mean, I I, I don't know much about Apple's like launch schedule. They tend to be not super predictable. They just have like several events a year, and that's I just grit my teeth. Dub Dub is oh. usually in the <laughs> in the middle of the year at some point because usually it was like right after, uh, wasn't it right after it's Computex? In June. Computex typically, yeah. yeah. Uh, beyond that, so the Mac Studio looks good. Uh, we will be using, um, you know, we will be looking into these things eventually to see like how they perform. So here's a, here's a good thing to put, uh, if you, if you saw the Mac Studio, you knew you immediately needed it. Uh, what are you going to use it for? Cause I feel like that's the thing. It is kind of hard. It's getting harder to tell like, what, what device do I need? Do I need a Mac mini? Do I need a, a, macbook air should i just get the 16 inch macbook pro um i think the differentiating points between those things are getting harder and harder to tell drop us an email at podcastinggadget.com let us know what you think about all this new hardware one other thing apple announced is uh the new mac studio display or the new 5k studio display it's a 27 inch 5k screen it costs 15.99 it has an a13 processor in it did not expect that um, but it's basically a new Mac monitor. It has a built-in uh, 12 megapixel ultra-wide uh, camera, which is kind of what the chip is dealing with. It's dealing with center stage and a bunch of audio stuff. Um, it's fine. It's cool. It seems like a really nice Mac monitor. What do you think, Sherwin? Well, the funny thing that came out uh, overnight as news was that, like, this is not just a Mac monitor. Apparently, it can also work with Windows machines. Oh, yeah, yeah. Although we don't know, uh, we don't know like how center stage and everything will be compatible oh yeah no none of those special camera features are going to work it's just the cameras and speakers will will work as normal but you won't get the like apple style features like i don't feel like Um, that's not news you expect that even old mac monitors worked with windows right you would think it's it's exactly an output like just read it as a normal output but the other thing that i saw a lot of people talk about was how 27 inch is just kind of a bad size like people were hoping for a bigger 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 would be nice. Um, I would love to see Apple like get into like ultra wide territory, which is my like sweet spot for monitors right now. Uh, right in front of me right now, folks. Uh, I'll be writing about this later. I have uh, that new uh, the Alienware thirty four inch QD OLED gaming monitor, so it's like it's beautiful, it's fantastic. It also costs less than this thing, yeah. than this Apple display, <laughs> and um, that is kind of wild to me. Uh, the Apple display also only has a tilting stand right if you right. want if you want the the ability to just pull the monitor up and down a bit a little bit, a bit of height adjustability that's an extra four hundred dollars and when i heard that like just a part of me just like started screaming because 
I don't know why you're doing this, Apple. You don't need to make a $1,600 monitor, a $2,000 monitor just for a stand, just for height adjustability. Uh, just wild to me. And then also you can flip the screen vertical, which like, cool. With I mean, the, for, with for, the height I can adjustability. see the use cases. Yeah. yeah, with the specific stand that has that. But I mean, not to like you know, say that like using it in vertical format is not a huge bonus for some people. Some people prefer it that way. Um, but just adding that $400 premium for that and the height adjustability. It's, uh, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Like every, almost every Dell monitor I see, like all the way down to like their super cheap $200 and $300 monitors have built in height adjustability. A lot of them have the ability to tilt too. Like that's not a new feature, um, in a monitor stand, you know? So, and some people like that because like you would have, maybe two monitors you could have two dual displays in the middle maybe a portrait on the side for like long feeds spreadsheets social media stuff like that like there's a lot of ways to do it i currently have like i have my own ultra wide monitor i'm like i i could get a portrait screen on the side just to keep track of slack and everything i don't know uh there's a lot of uses for that it's just uh it's just infuriating and your choices now like if you want a good mac display is like this 27 inch screen or the Pro Display XDR, yeah. which is five thousand dollars. Oh my so, gosh! And the, the Apple, better stand for that is yeah. uh, was a thousand dollars. Remember, now it's cheaper. All right, jeez. I I just think that if you're if you're setting up a workspace for creative people, for designers, people who use a lot of you know creative tools like a, a monitor like that or or a lot of power, just be ready to shell out a lot of money. Right? It sounds like the $4,000 Mac studio plus a studio display, that package is going to set you back, what, like so many thousands of dollars? I don't even, I, I can't can, even count that high. Like, here's me. the thing. Like, uh, I can I can justify for some people, like, spending $4,000 in the Mac studio. Like, if it makes your workflow better and faster, like, that leads to more money for you. That is a worthwhile investment. Uh, spending this amount of money on a Mac monitor, which has far limited features compared to, like, what we're seeing from Dell's and stuff and other companies, really any other company making monitors these days, it is ridiculous. And let me remind you all, the Pro Display XDR starts at $5,000. It has no stand. It has no stand at all. If you want to add a stand, that is another $1,000. They're assuming you have like mounting monitor oh, arms like a and wall stuff, record, yeah. which is fine, <laughs> but ah, I'm just uh, I I'm just freaking out over here in the way Apple designs these things and thinks of pricing these things. Uh, if you want the nano texture glass, the slightly better uh, anti-reflective glass, um, that is eighteen ninety nine for the Apple Studio display. Uh, that makes the total eighteen ninety nine. Okay, that is eighteen ninety nine. Plus, if you want the tilt and height adjustable stand, that it, that raises the total price to twenty three hundred dollars. So. For a 27-inch monitor, that is uh, that's ridiculous to me. I am sometimes Apple does things where like, oh man, this will make a lot of people's lives easier. This is really like reshaping the consumer landscape. And sometimes Apple does shit that's like, I don't. How do you expect anybody to swallow this? Uh, but somehow it happens every. I mean, don't you? Didn't they time. make how much? How much was that microfiber cloth that they sold last time? Was, was it that like fifty dollars? Yeah, I mean it's good microfiber. <laughs> then, I guess. 
uh, could make my skin just glow, I guess. I don't know. Um, uh-huh. One of our live chat viewers, uh, Mark Dell, says, can't we buy wheels for the Mac Studio? And this reminds me of that. Didn't they have like some kind of tower that had its they, own like That was the, the, the wheels for the last Mac Pro were also super expensive. And they got they got right. cheaper. You probably don't need wheels for the Mac Studio because it's a, it's a cute it little boy. Yeah. It's a it's a ch- it's a chunky Mac Mini, as we would like to say. Um, <laughs> honky, honky. Oh, just honky. Actually, it's just an honky uh, Mac Mac Pro Mini Mac Mac Mini. Yeah. But I'm seeing okay. a note here saying the microfiber cloth is actually twenty dollars. I think it was more expensive oh, okay. before that. But still, even Good twenty dollars. Yeah, think of like what you can the multi packs of microfiber you can buy. Uh, for far far less anyway folks uh let us know what do you think of the max uh this apple studio display is it disappointing would you just rather pair like a dell monitor which dell makes really good monitors i think people don't like talk about this enough uh but their screens are generally good they have good warranties i like their hardware a lot so would you rather have something like that with your mac studio let us know podcast and gadget.com Let's move on to some other news, and uh, it's a little Google heavy, so you know what that yeah. means. We gotta we gotta call in the Google heavyweight Trillin, Trillin Low. What is going da, 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 on with Google? Da, da, da. I feel you like I'm gonna come up with for my that. own intro music. Yeah, I need, like my own jingle. <laughs> Time for Google with Sherlin. Ding ding. Anyway, uh, wow. <laughs> yes, there has been a bunch of Google news, starting with three uh, pieces of news announced on Monday. Android 12 L that we've talked about before, the the sort of update to Android 12 that will make it friendlier for larger screens. Um, it's coming out of beta, uh, and Google's officially said that it will be heading to foldables and tablets later this year. That is still a very vague window, but. They've actually named companies that are working to implement this. So they've said Samsung, Lenovo, and Microsoft devices will be pushing this update later this year, which means, I mean, we know Samsung's got the foldables and the tablets. Lenovo with the P12 Pro being one of the earliest devices you can get 12L on already uh, as a beta. But with Microsoft, that means the Duo, right? Like we're expecting 12L to come to Duo. What will that look like? I feel like that's very intriguing. Um, But we also kind of already know what that will look like because... Once again, as a reminder, Sam Rutherford, our senior editor or senior writer, uh, did a hands-on with the 12L beta. So you can check that out to see what are some of the new features coming. Um, hopefully that makes a difference. Uh, for Samsung devices, it probably doesn't make a huge difference because Samsung's already integrated a lot of like big screen friendly features into its devices through One UI. Um, but perhaps for like the, the more generic Android or the cleaner versions of Android on tablets, this might actually make tablets more useful. Who knows? Literally um, anything is better. Like just, just do something, right. do something right. more. It'll make for Android example, tablets better. Yeah. I'll just shout out one example. That seems like a no brainer. You know how, when you're like using your tablet, you scroll, you like pull down the notification shade and it's just one giant window that spans the entire width of your tablet, especially when you hold it landscape. Now with Android 12 L it will detect when the screen width is above a certain DPI, I believe it was 600 ish DPI. Um, and then bring up a two column notification shade. Wow. Like, Oh, okay. What a great way to use space. Um, so there you go. And also a new taskbar and that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, that's coming later this year. Uh, I guess it's just something to look out for. We won't know really how much this will impact or make Android tablets any better than iPads, right? Like we were saying, 
iPad OS. I, I don't limited, know. It's but, it's too late. It's too late to say like better uh. in any way. But if you can deliver, if you could give me like the features of the iPad Air or even the iPad Pro, like give me a four hundred dollar ten inch tablet with like fast motion, a really nice screen, like then then you have my interest. You know, then I'll be thinking about it. And like a good keyboard accessory, like give me a great three hundred to four hundred dollar device that kind of does all this stuff, and then I'll be thinking about it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I don't I don't know so much about like uh um like a great keyboard accessory not being uh existing yet, but I will say that I think there has been good Android tablet hardware for a while now. Sure, um, sure. we've got Samsung making it, but it's not it's the really all the Galaxy Tab S, yeah. Yeah. Right. Um but and, and Samsung's one of those companies that doesn't really need that huge boost from Android 12L, like we said, but ooh, Will it make it closer to iPad territory? Maybe. Maybe. I'm not sure. I remember, we'll see. was it the first Galaxy Tab S or was it the S2? But they had this like launch event in freaking Madison Square Garden. Like I walked into like one of the smaller portions of Madison Square Garden and like Samsung just had a bunch of OLED tablets lit up. And I was like, okay, this is, that's kind of cool. That is something iPads aren't doing. And then they were really the only ones innovating. I feel like Google has been asleep at the wheel at tablets for so long. So, hey, this is something. Speaking of uh, like things that Google is good at, I'm not sure this is necessarily something good at Chrome, right? Chrome's been around forever. I love Chrome as a browser. But um, what Google announced this week, too, is that the next version of Chrome, Chrome 99, is going to be a lot faster on Macs and on Android devices. Uh, on Macs specifically, I think the claim is that Chrome on Macs will outperform Safari, um, which I guess... If you want to keep people using your browser on other platforms, speed is one of the things to be concerned about and to upgrade. So if y'all are speed demons when you're browsing your web, I'm more interested in like the just Chrome using less RAM, I guess. Or just I mean, yeah, the I feel like the curse of being um, of being the dominant browser is that you inevitably become terrible, right? You become a memory hog. Uh, so many things will go wrong. And uh, the curse of like that happened to Firefox, you know, that happened to poor Firefox. I think from the beginning, that was uh, that was what was going on with the Internet Explorer. So it kind of happens over and over again. Yeah. Mm -hmm. People like lighter browsers run faster. Who knew? Um, But anyhow, that's 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 one more piece of info for everyone that uses Chrome Chrome browsers. There are some interesting updates from Google this this week as well about some features that debuted on the Galaxy S22 phones that were at the time supposed to be exclusive to the Galaxy S22. And it seems like they're no longer. For example, uh, on Monday, there was news about a new Pixel feature drop. That's what Google calls them. Um, And it brings improved captioning, translating, and live sharing on Duo, the, you know, Google's video call app that basically nobody uses except when forced to. Um, and yeah, no, Duo now gets the same live sharing features that the S22 series had, which is sort of similar to Apple's SharePlay, but it's not the same. It's not as deeply integrated. It's basically a screen sharing feature, uh, live sharing on Duo. So would this convince some of you to use Duo to talk to your family and friends over Android? Let me know. I mean, I might start forcing my parents to use it. Duo um, is such an annoying service. Like, first of all, Google has to like silly. pick one, pick one thing. Are you going to use Hangouts? Are you going to use Duo? Are you going to use Google Chat? Uh, Google, I guess Google Chat became Hangout, but 
It's very confusing. I don't know what's going on. Very there hard to yet. use. Um, I know. Hey, but one thing that did stick around is uh-huh. Google's messages. They're somehow, I mean, not giving up on Android messages, the app, um, failing to like make RCS really a real thing, whatever. But continuing in the theme of bringing things that were first exclusive to the S22 series to the rest of Android, we've got YouTube previews in messages. Um, great. Hey, now all Android phones will get it instead of just the S22s. Um, there's also a bunch of other... Uh, you know, the emoji reaction um, thing that we've been hearing about for a while now. Now it's finally officially going to roll out. Um, you also get a thing called organized inbox where you can, you know, just put the messages that are more important to you in the priority folder, that sort of thing. And just like a whole ton more updates coming to Android. Um, there's, I don't even, you can read the articles on Engadget.com. I will shout out that uh, Live Translate now works offline and and Google pitched that as an accessibility feature, which does, you know, it does make sense if you want to see captions for videos or things that are playing on your phone, I believe. Um, Do you want to mention, I see you also have some other Android updates around parking. Is that important enough to mention? Or Android Auto, uh, now, yeah, I know. No, you can pay to park with your voice. Cheers. All that's right, actually that's pretty, it. that's pretty cool because <laughs> like cool. Um, one thing I have to deal with now is occasional city parking and it's like, you got to learn the new systems. Like, which app are you? Are you just like, there aren't really coin meters anymore so you either have to look for like the little booth and get a ticket or you use like some variety of a mobile app and every like every county has a different app and it's really annoying so hey if i could just be like okay just just pay pay for the parking make my life easier that's nice i'd be down with that yes yes absolutely so as someone who doesn't park doesn't even have a car <laughs> to park can't drive <laughs> this definitely yeah well, it's just like really going down the checklist here yeah oh yeah yeah, so that's that's why that definitely not not, not oh. something that I personally can you can you drive have. quote unquote like you I I can mm. quote unquote quote unquote drive stick is what I learned I learned manual uh-huh. transmission uh, didn't do the test uh, <laughs> did not manage to not kill anyone okay. which honestly so in a in a zombie really apocalypse a where you were forced to drive you could probably figure it out at some point. I can go forward. The you mo- can go the forward. The main thing is I never learned how to go backwards. That's kind of important. I know. It's pretty important. I know. Like as the hordes amass a- in front of you and uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I know. I One time I drove a golf cart into a ditch because I was going backwards. That? Okay, that checks out. Let's move on to some other news. And actually something that dropped as we were recording this, uh, people were sending us links. Thank you, Mark Dell, in the chat room. Uh, Magic Leap announced the Magic Leap 2 AR glasses, which are... They look like a redesigned set. I'm looking at the hands-on coverage from Scott Stein uh, over at CNET. Uh, Love his work around AR, VR stuff. Um, These look like better, more optimized um, glasses. And they also have this cool thing where they can, like, darken the outer world to make the holograms look a little better, too. Um, It's really interesting that they're still pursuing this. I know these are are more, like, business-focused glasses as our HoloLens right now, and I think that's where a, bu- a bunch of this business is going. But it did seem a couple of years ago like Magic Leap was just like dead, right? Like they lost uh, the original CEO, uh, the one who helped like that company raise $2 billion, like a bunch of money. Um, and then like it was never really a consumer product, and even like the original Magic Leap glasses were kind of disappointing. Did you ever try those out, Sherlyn? I did. I I found them like the the visual was just a little too transparent. I just couldn't really see 
uh, right. like it didn't feel real and immersive. It just felt like a, a demo product. I think that's what this kind of fixes by like, it's like wearing sunglasses inside. It looks like, so it makes the holograms look a little better. Um, there is a, a newly redesigned controller. I'm seeing like an AMD powered, like hip pocket computer. Um, it's an AMD processor. The last one just had a Snapdragon XR2. So that is, this right. is a huge leap in performance. Right. So, you know, that's really interesting. And uh, yeah, hopefully we'll get to try this out soon. Unfortunately, like I'm missing out on some of these like really cool demos because I'm no longer like near New York. Uh, I am trying to make trips in when I can. Um, are you are you intrigued by this, Sherlyn? Like, would you want to try these out if you could? I mean, I recently tried out for the first time uh, TCL's next Air. Right, right, right. They're wearable. Yeah, it used to be called Project Archer. They've changed the name so many times on me. I don't really know. Uh, now, But no, that one actually felt very light and comfortable to wear. And based on the pictures I'm seeing uh, on on Scott Stein over at CNET's hands-on, uh, they look kind of similar, right? The Magic Leap 2 looks also lightweight and comfortable. Um, and and he, he seems to find them really greatly improved. So I'm intrigued. I mean... That's where we're headed. I think the glasses format rather than like a strap on headset is something that I find more approachable, something that I prefer. Um, so, yeah, no, definitely keen to test this out. And probably like the, these are the rumors we've heard work uh, Apple working on at some point, like some sort of AR glasses product. So like something is happening in this space. It is clearly not ready yet. I'm really excited by a lot of the VR stuff I've seen and some of the AR stuff. Like I've tried out HoloLens 2 in a couple of demos. Like one time, uh, it was like last year or a year and a half ago, like at the beginning of the pandemic, right after I moved here, uh, Microsoft shipped HoloLens 2 to show off like their meta virtual chat system. Like it was really wild to be able to just put on glasses and then like see people around me in my physical space. It wasn't just like blocking out my field of view like the Quest VR does. So there, there's a lot of potential here, um, a lot of potential for like dystopian realities too that we're going to be moving <laughs> right into. So who knows? But I am I'm really yeah. intrigued by this. I'm also really I, beginning to like appreciate the time in my life and during the day where I could just like close my eyes and not have I know. screens and stuff in front of me. So, know. you know, this is probably part of why I don't enjoy like, you know, I don't want stra to strap a screen to my face. I'm, I'm good. I need a You're lot good. of time away from the screen. You need time. But you I need time away. Yeah. yeah. I will shout out that like the, I, I actually thought for a while that the glasses format might be just a little more of an inclusive design compared to the strap on head goggles setup because for people with big hair or, or that sort of thing, uh, you know, a lot of VR headsets are notorious for not being very accommodating of people with different hair types. Um, but then the glasses format needs to also be conscious of accommodating people with vision issues with like who need to fit their glasses in or don't wear contacts or get those with lenses that, you know, prescription That's lenses. That's me. Sort of stuff. It's a me. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. That is some like so my main... Especially when it comes to like AR and VR stuff, that's where I'm like, yeah, th this is an accessibility feature that affects everybody, right? Um, actually, just uh, we talked about the Facebook uh, Bluetooth glasses, uh, the Wayfarer, the, those things. Um, you can get those with prescription lenses, yeah, the, the stories, stories, yeah, the Reban mm -hmm. stories. You can get those with prescription lenses. I feel like that stuff needs to be easier and more accessible for people to to like buy at some point too. Um, but it does make a big difference too, yeah. I want a VR headset with my full prescription. Like that'll be, then I don't have to wear glasses. And it's like, oh, it'll be a little more. Whenever you want, you turn it on. Um, For sure. But yeah, I mean, that's, that's, I feel like that's coming, but in the future. And 
We're not there. I yet. hope so. I'm hoping, honestly, like I'm hoping eventually like these lenses will be able to like do the work to dial in the prescription. Like look at my eyes, do uh, that work. Like whoa. we're going to have that tech whoa. eventually. Yeah. Wow. Okay. There you go. Wow. Just, uh, we're talking about eye tracking and, uh, you know, give me, give me like, look at my vision, fix my vision. Give me a screen with better vision. Um, that'll be kind of cool. Let's move on. Other news. LimeWire is back in NFT form. I mean, it's not an NFT. It's now an NFT marketplace. It's an NFT marketplace, but still the form of an NFT, like, uh, it's an NFT for newbies marketplace, basically. Do you have, um, I, I don't, I don't really have any feelings about like what this could be, but do you have any affinity to LimeWire or the, those like, old style file so, sharing services? It's so sad to me <laughs> because I love LimeWire. LimeWire was like one of my gateways to the world, right? And then now it's taking the form of facilitating something I hate. I really do not enjoy NFTs and like, Come on. I, I, I love you, LimeWire, because like I said, it's so much of my teenage years were spent knowing what it's about. I won't admit to whether or not I use LimeWire. What? Yeah. So what were you? And uh, I, I don't know, maybe statues of limitations have passed, but we were all young and occasionally like dabbled in things. And what were you Poor dabbling and broke. with, with LimeWire? Yeah, exactly. Right. Um, certainly not for poor and broke people anymore. Right? I don't think of people who trade in NFTs as not anyway. NFTs, but yeah, yeah, yeah. But back in the day, yes, LimeWire was a nice place to you know be a file exchange uh, uh, program and and get things that I wouldn't otherwise be able to find in Singapore. It's more about like access, right, than it is about trying to break the law for me because in Singapore, there's just so much censorship there's so many limits mm-hmm. on what you can watch oh man were it's they were they really experience. harsh about file sharing too because it seemed like singapore went hardcore on many many laws yeah God, i got away with it a lot you, of you things, got away. Uh... like i <laughs> i think i once got like a letter from an isp it was like we see you torrenting batman yes. begins don't do that <laughs> you can't do anything else whereas I... I think some other countries can be like you're gonna go to jail for a very long right. time if we see this again I... Never got that from Singapore, <laughs> but I did like one of my earlier years in New York. Accidentally in leave mu- mm-hmm. I I can't remember when, but I I accidentally left like MuTorrent running in the background for no reason. I never had it open before that, and then I got an email, uh, not an email, a letter delivered. It was like you've been using this. Stop seeding this torrent. I was like, wow. They like I went Relax. on. And I was like, oh, I had accidentally left something on yeah. there that was seeding to uh, other people. Kids oh, these cool. days wouldn't know. Um, it was a weird thing where the RIAA and the MPAA were basically out there scanning uh, internet traffic and was like sending letters to through ISPs, but also through schools. I knew people at my college. Like if you were downloading something, then the college would be like, hey, st- just stop. We can't do anything about yeah. this, but just stop. Um, for me, the ones I really miss are like Audio Galaxy. I do miss the like sort that. of like yeah. it was like peer to peer sharing music stuff mm. too. I would like get some really cool stuff there. Um, I mean, college was just like a wonderland of like a closed <sighs> network where everyone was the like, here are all my anime soundtracks. Just g- uh, go in. Windows file right. sharing. Just drag them right. over to your computer. Uh, that was fun. I, re- I used to be. I that remember guy. the. Yeah, I remember their little like uh, race and the obstacles too, right? Because like people would just like LimeWire was, I think, one of the earlier ones. Then they got shut down or, or restrict- uh, restrictions were imposed. And then people all just jumped ship to Kaza and Kaza. then BitTorrent. 
and then Mutor, and and I don't really know where we are now. And then I remember <laughs> when they would keep trying to shut down the Pirate Bay in the past, mm-hmm. and Pirate Bay would just move somewhere else. <laughs> I was like, all right, Pirate good gone for you. For the most part, it's now, now but gone. Yeah. yeah, it is. Uh, oh. well, it's like a weird thing now. Um, but yeah, file sharing was a weird. It was a wild time back in the day. Let me put it that way. So. I don't know. LimeWire's back. I don't know if I will ever use this as a uh, thing. And, uh, oh, I got a little legal note here. Under United States federal law, the statute of limitations on copyright infringements, it's only three years, according to a website called felonies.org. LOL. Thank you, Ben. Felonies.org. <laughs> that, that's my go-to source for information. I mean, um, if, you, if uh, <laughs> that is for people like, did I just commit a felony? You go to felony.org. That's how you Sounds- know. Sounds about right. Um, but yeah, no, I, yeah, nostalgia aside, it seems like, well, I, I'm just happy to see the logo, happy to see the brand around, not sure I will partake anymore. Um, speaking of things that I'm not sure I will partake in, <laughs> Carl Pei, hey, remember Carl Pei, the former sure. co-founder of OnePlus or sure. former director yeah, of, of OnePlus. Uh, and, you know, they like Carl left and did his own company called Nothing. Last year, Nothing launched some new headphones, earbuds. Uh-huh. This year, people are stoked to, like, see if the, the company is going to launch a phone, I guess. Um, and we're hearing, or we got news this week, that Nothing plans to reveal its 2022 roadmap uh, in an event on March 23rd. Nobody's really sure what it's going to announce, but the the wireless earbuds that it announced last year or that launched last year had this like transparent case design that let you see the internals of the device. Cool. Yeah, and yeah. I know that our producer Ben is stoked if they bring this sort of we miss clear clear gadgets. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I remember yeah. there was a heyday of that. Like, I think one of the Game <sighs> Boys this. back in the day. Like, I had a there was a Game Boy oh, Advance right. with like a clear case. There was. Of course, the original IMAX. So it's like that was a thing for a while. Yes. Most for me, recently, it was, <laughs> God. for me, it was the Nokia phones that like mm. you could swap out the case. And I always swap out for a transparent case. Always. Looks cool. I like, I like seeing my tech. <laughs> and if we're going to go like full on cyberpunk, like I got to get I need some visible tech. I need to see some hardware, uh, open wires and whatnot. Uh, most recently, I think there was a Forza Horizon 5 custom, like a special controller for the Xbox Series X and S that, that is like slightly transparent. looks really cool. What if uh, what if Carl Page just like opens a box and it's empty? It's just like nothing. <laughs> I unveil nothing. <laughs> Let's move on to what we're working on. I am still uh, in the middle of interviewing the Intel NUC 12 Extreme, which uh, has become a long long process like a long long process bloody bloody fingers and whatnot like getting into this case and everything it is funny that this thing came uh right before uh apple announced the mac studio because like now it seems like mini desktops are getting like more and more interesting so again again look out again I mean, you could do so much more with small spaces now, too. So, like, there is a bit of a battle going on there. That is cool. I wrote up the Kia Sorento, the 2022 Sorento plug-in hybrid that I tested a couple of months ago. Uh, I did a quick write-up for that in Engadget. Uh, Check it out. I think it's a really cool, like, family car. Um, I'm really interested in plug-in hybrids, especially looking at, like, where gas prices are now. Um, The last time I filled up my car, um, that was actually my old car, the RAV4 Hybrid, Gas was like 325, 320. 
I just went and filled up uh, the Pacifica minivan. It is $4.25 down here. I know. The prices are out of hand. It's crazy. Uh, There's a lot of stuff happening, obviously. um, So there's a lot of things affecting that. But now is the time where it's like, if you had a little bit of EV, if you had like 30 miles of EV, you just charge overnight and you you could get that. Uh, I've owned this minivan for about like two and a half months and this is the first time I'm putting in any gas, you know? And for the first month, um, I was all EV. Like, all the trips I were doing pretty much covered the EV range. So it's like, I never need to go beyond that. Uh, there is a recall happening now. God damn it. Um, so I'm not charging my car. So now I'm using gas and I'm I'm less happy. But anyway, the Sorento plug-in hybrid, it's really interesting. I think my big takeaway is that I really wish it was a Telluride because the Telluride is like, Every time I see one of those on the road, I'm like, that is a beautiful car. Does not have great fuel efficiency, but it's big enough for like families. It's big enough for two kids. That's been the obsession that I've been like looking for for a while. So a better, a Telluride with better gas mileage and certainly with some EV would be like the perfect family SUV, I think. So anyway, hope we see that eventually working on a bunch of other stuff, but you'll hear more about that in the next few weeks. Sherlyn, what's up with you? Yeah, no, my my secrets and my deadlines keep getting moved on me. Also, a lot of the stuff that I, I publish uh, recently and in in the near future are things that like get dropped on me last minute. So not a lot I can tell you about, but I'm always working, as everyone knows. Uh, but I want to take this opportunity to draw your attention then to the people whose work I can talk about. Like, for example, our senior editor, Daniel Cooper, wrote an explainer about how Telegram found itself at the heart of the Ukrainian conflict. Um, I mean, who knew? But also, Telegram is a better, is a good messaging app. I love it. It's great. Um, also, not fully, shouting not out- fully as secure as people think, right? Like, go read that article not. so you yeah. know exactly what Telegram offers. Yeah, part of part of the reason I don't like to tell people what messaging apps I use most of the time is because I don't want to encourage hacking of it because I I always think the world is out to get me. But this is not my personal therapy session. Um, <laughs> moving on, Andrew Tarantola uh, also wrote a, a story on Engadget called "Cities Turn to Tech to Keep Sewers Free of Fatbergs." Do you know what a fatberg is, Devendra? Uh, the big lumps of like fat that are floating around the oceans, yeah, or, <laughs> in garbage. Yeah. yeah, it's it's globs of grease and wet naps, yeah. and they block pipes. So you know, there's grease a story is bad, folks. In- uh, wipe up your grease. Wipe up your grease. I had to teach my my wife this too. Like I make bacon for uh, myself and my daughter. My wife doesn't eat it, but. Baking grease. You got to wait for that stuff to solidify. You got to like be really careful. Don't just dump that down your drain. But anyway, Fatbergs. That's cool. Yes. A story on Fatbergs is just fun to say and fun to tell you all about. Uh, There's also a piece uh, by James True, our editor at large. Uh, It is a hands-on with the Ergo 6, which is basically like a tiny, invisible, self-adjusting hearing aid. Um. James's early take on it is that they don't scrimp on the features, which is nice. And James is one of our like hearing aid testers on the team himself needing one. So, I mean, this is, I, I love his coverage of this stuff. James's writing is also just such a It's super me, cool. So. And uh, uh, yeah. James like spent a lot of his life uh, listening to very <laughs> loud music. And yes. uh, a warning, folks, a warning to please, if you're going to concerts, if you're right in front of the speakers, wear, wear some buds, wear some protection. Because you cannot, you don't get that back. You lose it forever. Like as, yeah, if you, as you surround yourself with uh, loud things. There's also a story about uh, Audi's the RS Audi- e-tron. Yeah. Yeah. 
Exactly. Robbie. There's a fun video, too. Roberta Baldwin, uh, contributor to Engadget, who covers uh, cars and really, really cool stuff. He drove the RS e-tron GT. So Audi's like really cool EVs uh, on ice. So go check out that video. Looks like he had a lot of fun. Yeah, and there's plenty more around Engadget that you can uh, check out. But these are just something we wanted to highlight this week. Let's move on to our pop culture picks. What do you got for me this week, Trillin? You have a secret. And so, yeah, no. So this is one of those weeks where, like, I didn't have anything to tell y'all to watch. But I dug into my archives. I have a list of, like, recommendations I keep handy whenever I need one. When my life's been so bad that I haven't been watching anything. Um, So this week, it's an older horror movie called The Deep House. Have you heard of this one, Dev? No, I've not heard of it. Man, the premise alone is so interesting. It's basically this couple. It's a house underwater? What? Yeah, it's a house. Yeah, uh, fully underwater. They're they're uh-huh. like they take their scuba gear, or I'm not sure exactly the right type yeah, of. Gear this can't be haunted. Right Let's is. go to the underwater yeah, house. Totally yeah. not. Yeah, exactly. And then they go in. And it's creepy. So so it's a it's a haunted house story, but with a interesting take and uh, the technology for me in terms of how they filmed this is also cool. Like the guy, the premise is that these two are like adventurers with a YouTube channel. So, of course, they've got what's coming to them. No. Um, But they have this little drone, like underwater drone for their GoPro. And they send their GoPro drone around ahead of them into these dark, creepy spaces. And things start becoming weird and scary. Gosh, it wasn't... A, I have, like, no fear whatsoever for horror movies anymore. I just thought it was interesting. I I actually laughed at some parts just because (laughs) that's just me now when I watch horror movies. Um, But it is... I thought it was fascinating. I thought the the suspense was nice. Some scenes were very annoying because they were just like almost epileptic causing, you know, epileptic fit inducing scenes. But besides that, this was an intriguing story. That's fun. Speaking of horror movies, did you see the trailer for Emma, the Sandra Oh movie? No, not yet. I will will recommend it to you. Like Korean for mother? Mm -hmm. It is is a horror movie about her dealing with like the trauma of her mother in fearing of becoming oh. her mother and she's haunted by her mother uh it is it looks scary it looks like that sort of like yeah, uh, i really want to watch that it looks really cool so there's a good trailer for that out there go check that out i've been watching a couple of shows uh i've been watching our flag means death on hbo um this is another show from taika waititi so i it has that like new zealand sensibility of humor it stars reese darby as like a nice guy pirate um, the photo we're looking at right now is Taika Waititi as Blackbeard. So I, I, we haven't seen him yet in the show, but he looks like he's going to have a lot of fun. It's about a nice guy, rich guy, basically pretending to be a pirate. Um, he treats his crew well. He pays them a salary. He cares about their social, emotional well-being. He's like a nice guy. But uh, when it comes to like the actual work of pirating, um, he's having trouble being a a murderer and a pillager and things like that so is that inherent comedy of like a rich guy pretending to be a pirate um reese darby is really funny the entire cast is really good there's several game of thrones people in here uh, including joel fry and uh the guy who played hodor christian narn christian narn is in here too so they're in it together as like a pirate crew i think that alone makes it fun it's very sweet it is really funny um it has that like vibe of taika waititi comedy so if you like that stuff and I really do uh, like what we do in the shadows. Uh, check this out. 
I've also been reviewing, uh, I've watched all of Upload Season 2 oh, yeah. uh, that we've gotten so far. And, uh, oh, by the way, we've got an interview with the creator of Upload, Greg Daniels, a uh, former writer on The Simpsons, creator of King of the Hill, and, you know, many, many great TV shows. Both of us really liked Upload Season 1. That is on Amazon Prime. Um, I think the season isn't as strong it's sort of like it is building on the world they introduce which is you know a world where when you die you could upload your consciousness to a vr universe and now that we're all talking about the metaverse it's all like a little more like trenchant it's a, it seems like something people would be more into or paying money to you don't have to die to go there you could just upload into a vr space and like hang out with your relatives who are dead in real life um this season introduces like more concepts like the Luddites, the people who are very anti-tech because it seems like tech has sort of like destroyed this world. Um, I think the show needs a bigger budget or something. Like I think the limits of how cheap it looks is sometimes is really getting there. And there was one scene where they were like, we're in Central Park, guys. We're just hanging out in Central Park. And it's like, it's like a tiny patch of grass in front of a strip mall. I'm like, guys, what are you doing? Just... I know Vancouver is tough, but Vancouver has green space. You can you could do something. Um, it just looks a little cheap, and I think the writing isn't as good this season. But, um, you know, check out my chat with Greg Daniels because he was really excited about exploring this. I think it's worth watching. Um, I think certainly the, sur- yes. the first season is worth a watch. Yes. So yes. I would say... Check I love the world they built too, like you said. Yeah. Yep. So that 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 alone, I think, is worth exploring. Kind of the future, mm-hmm. slightly dystopian almost, but but something that could yep. be an eventuality for us almost. We've got a bunch of coverage around upload season one. I probably won't be writing anything about season two. It's just super busy right now. Um, but you could go check out our old coverage. Sherlyn, you also did the was that the Comic Con or yeah. the South by yeah. moderated show for the Comic Con panel for for upload season one. Uh, you that can was fun. find that, that somewhere. Yeah, that's uploaded somewhere. I'm sure you could find that online. On, yeah, so. on Amazon's Prime Video site actually. <laughs> so you can I see Sherlyn talking to Robbie Amell and not trying to melt into a puddle. Yeah. Oh man, and also Greg Daniels. He was great to talk Agreed. to. Yeah. Good cast, good cast. I have a crush on everybody in that cast. It's just like a really, really fun, really fun show. Um, I've also caught up entirely on Euphoria season two, and I'm just throwing that out there because uh, god damn, this show is this is wild. It's really wild to see the internet like catch up to the show because I felt like I was watching Euphoria season one kind of in a vacuum, like me and a bunch of other like film nerds who were like, this show's really, really interesting. It's shot really well. Uh, it's one of the most dynamic like pieces of filmmaking on television. And season two, not as good, a little bit of like the upload problem, but also it turns out the entire internet decided to watch the show all at once. So like when things got bad, the internet was like on fire. Everybody wanted to like just burn the show to the ground, which made me think about like the power of fandom and everything. I watched it after a lot of those reactions, like in my own space and at my own time, I was like, yeah, there are certain bits that aren't as good, but it is still a really compelling show. It focuses on... You know, kids in this town um, focuses on basically Zendaya's character, who's a recovering drug addict, her experiences with that, but also all the people in her lives. Like, it is very much a teen soap opera of kids struggling to deal with their identity or, you know, um, how they relate to their friends, uh, how, you know, how do you deal with if your best friend is a drug addict and how do you kind of how do you uh, help them deal with that in general? How right. do you help them? Yeah, there's a lot going on, but it's also like it does kind of lean into like the more maximalist uh, stylings 
of the director, the creator, Sam Levinson. So it is both like a really compelling teen drama, but also a hardcore drug show that can get really violent at times too, like a gangster show. Um, it is wild. I think the filmmaking is still really good, but clearly season two has had some issues. I'm just throwing this out there because I think Euphoria season one is one of the best seasons of TV I've seen in a very long time. It's really creative. Um, if you're a parent, it'll probably freak you the hell out because it's sort of like, Oh man, kids going to parties every night, just like doing it's uh it's uh, kids having a yeah. lot of sexy yeah. times no in high yeah. school, like just hardcore. Um it is scary for parents, but I think really compelling to television television. So I'm gonna throw that out there. Sherlin, I think you'd enjoy it quite a bit too. And that's it for me. Stick around for our interview with Greg Daniels, the creator of Upload, right after the show. Well, that's it for the episode this week, everyone. Thank you, as always, for listening. Our theme music is by game composer Dale North. Our outro music is by our very own Terrence O'Brien. This podcast is produced by Ben Elman. You can find Devendra online at... At Devendra on Twitter and talking about movies and TV and reviewing shows like Euphoria on the Filmcast at thefilmcast.com. If you have any ideas for fun places to find a haunted house, you can send them to me on Twitter. I'm at Sherlyn Lowe. Email us your thoughts at podcast at Engadget.com. Leave us a review, please, on iTunes. And subscribe on anything that gets podcasts. Hey, everyone. Here's our interview with Greg Daniels about Upload Season 2, his latest series over at Amazon Prime Video. You'd most likely know him for working on The Simpsons or creating King of the Hill or the U.S. version of The Office. This show, as we've talked about before on the podcast, is a more mature thing. It's about people who are uploading their minds into virtual worlds, um, which is also a thing people are doing after they die. It's a really cool, like, near-future sci-fi universe. It's really funny, and uh, both Sherlin and I really enjoyed season one. Season two adds a lot more elements to the story and, you know, makes the world a lot more complex, too. And uh, here's what Greg Daniels had to say about it. Greg Daniels, thank you so much for joining us on the Engadget Podcast. Oh, thanks so much for having me. Uh, you know, I loved Upload Season 1. I thought it was a fantastic introduction to a dystopia that felt very real, like something we're heading towards, maybe without, you know, the consciousness uploading, but the the actual world setting around it felt very realistic. What were you hoping to accomplish with Season 2? Um, well, I, you know, we, we were extending the romantic storyline between Nathan and Nora and uh, getting more opportunities to kind of play with the world that we've created. And um, there's a, you know, the the sort of episodes in the middle of the season, like the, the beginning and the ends are often very arky with mystery beats and, and uh, but there's a lot of opportunity for just plain comedy, episodic fun in the middles of the season. So, you know, we, we had so much fun with say the characters of Luke and Alicia uh, last year, um, you know, there's more, more out of them and, and, uh, more kind of concepts about what could possibly be a new technology being introduced. And, and you kind of see the, the way that the people introducing it hope to make money off of it. And it's, you know, uh, whether you want them to succeed or not is very questionable, but, uh, you know, there's a lot of comedy in that, I think, in the, in the, in the notion of when uh, these new tech products come out and you're only told the good parts of them.
Oh yeah. We we know that very well over at Engadget. So yeah. Um I'm also wondering, like, you know, what was your experience just producing season two? Because a lot of content, a lot of like TV shows I, I'm seeing now, like they've been delayed because of the pandemic. Uh, you know, the writing team has had over a year longer than usual to like work on it. Did the pandemic influence the show? Did it did having more time work on it change anything? And you know, like we're relying more on technology now than ever, right? I feel like the themes of upload seem more like relevant now that everybody's zooming and working. A lot of people are working from home. Yeah, how did the pandemic affect season two overall? Well, I, I, you're completely right. I mean, the, the theme of the show being a person who is entirely existing in a virtual environment, uh, trying to have a romantic relationship with someone who's alive is, you know, uh, I think a, a feeling of like overcoming distance using technology and, you know, um, uh, long distance romance, you know, that that kind of a thing is definitely more uh, relevant than ever. Um, the pandemic was, you know, ha- had a lot of challenges because shooting, you know, uh, there was constant testing. We kept going down for, you know, some somebody would would be testing positive and they would be suddenly sidelined for two weeks. And the rules in in uh, British Columbia were pretty stringent, uh, uh, but the people were also very uh, good about, uh, you know, wearing their masks and trying to prevent the infection and everything. Did it change the way like you thought about this world or you thought about the direction, you know, we're, we're heading into as a tech obsessed society? Well, I, I don't, I don't know if it like was one big thought that changed the show. I think that um, a, a TV show is more fun and relatable if you're constantly grabbing little pieces of the real world to to throw into it to remind people that it's relevant. And so we're we're always doing that. And uh, you know, so there it might have anything happening in the world, the pandemic included, changes the world and makes you pick different little nuggets to incorporate into the show. So there was definitely a, a like a pollination or something with the real world, but I don't think it changed the direction that much. And we were actually kind of lucky that we were already in the right direction, I think, the story and the themes. Gotcha. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And actually, you were a little prescient, too, because I think over the past year, everyone's talking about a metaverse. Facebook completely, you know, reoriented itself around the idea of metaverse. And in Upload, it, it that's essentially what you guys have created, except it's centered on, you know, formerly dead people or digital consciousnesses. Uh, I have not finished season two yet, but I'm wondering, are you guys looking to explore the idea of, you know, normal people, living people going into a world like this and having a full metaverse experience or maybe this actual world? Well, that is part of this. I mean, uh, that is part of this concept. Uh, uh, the hotel, the digital hotel that Nathan lives in um, as was set up in the pilot and in, in episode five, uh, the lower five thousand floors are a uh, a what what they called a vacation resort, a virtual reality vacationing. And so all all the people on the lower five thousand floors are real people who are you know meeting meeting their lovers or going on a vacation or something in this digital world. So it, it's it already had this sort of notion of of you didn't have to be dead to participate. Right, right. Yeah, there's a lot of a lot of virtual reality in the show, uh, and the funny thing is with Facebook is um, that uh, some aspect of their metaverse is called Horizon. They actually named yeah. after the <laughs> the company in our show. So we're we're. It- leaving- 
way for them. It's funny too because we uh, we used to be a part of Verizon, so every time you guys said Horizon, it was uh, it well, was a little tinge of. We called it Horizon. Was <laughs> it wanted to sound <laughs> Horizon kind of? Yeah, yeah, it hit us close to home. Um, last question for you. I'm really interested in the way you fleshed out the Luddite community in the show, and I'm. It's really interesting because there are degrees of people who are anti-tech, and you know, uh, at the most basic level, it's somebody who's very religious. Uh, can you talk about like how you guys thought of that and how you constructed that? Are you pulling from things you're seeing in reality right now or the original Luddite movement? Um, sure. Well, we we pulled from a lot of things. Um, it it is there were there there's two strands, two main strands of the Luddites in in the show. There's a, a sort of a, a religious strand that is against upload entirely because it seems sacrilegious, and then there's a um, a more sort of lefty strand which is against it if it's going to be run by capitalists and only be for rich people and uh so they they're looking for universal upload and so there's these inherent contradictions in in the lud movement that are up in the woods and there's a lot of like weird tensions going on between the different wings and you know that was something that maybe you observe in a lot of sort of uh, uh, left-wing kind of uh, uh, movements, like if, like in the Spanish Civil War or something, like if they were all on the same page, they would do better. But there's all these factions and infighting, and uh, so that was sort of an observation for, for that um, setting. And and we wanted the we wanted Nora to be on a journey of trying to figure out what she thinks is the proper way to, to set up an upload because. You know, basically, once you create a virtual world, like the world of Lakeview is created by the Horizon Company, you're basically starting a new society and you're setting what the terms are and what the rules are. And if you don't thoughtfully approach it, then you're basically just saying, well, we'll just let this company do it for profit and it's not going to necessarily benefit anybody. Other, It's just a money-making scheme. So Nora's on this on this sort of uh, a journey to try and figure out, well, if you are going to start a new society, what should the rules be? How should you organize it? And she's, you know, getting some ideas from the LUDs, but she's going to be off, you know, thinking of her own ideas later. Excellent. Well, I, I think I have time to squeeze in one more, actually. I'm just wondering, you know, working on this show, uh, this show is a lot raunchier than uh, a lot of your other stuff. You know, I've been a fan of your work since The Simpsons. So you actually be able to show sex scenes and have people swear. Has that changed the way you've thought of how you'd want to pursue future projects? And even with these themes of tech, too. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I, I'll say that um, I sort of wanted to do something uh, that was was going to stretch my my skills after the office went down. And um, and that's when I pitched this. And at the time, the streamers were very much looking for the sort of Game of Thrones uh, right. show, you know, that was going to be very uh, uh, absorb, you know, absorptive. Is that, is that a word? <laughs> yeah, sure. You know, so I sort of pitched them that that this was going to be very intense. I wanted the romance to be super intense and the, um, you know, the, the, the sci-fi little moments of horror. I just thought it would be it had to sort of cut through and not be a, a lukewarm show. And, and so at the time, you know, in the pilot uh, that we did have uh, uh, some sex scenes and in, in, in season one, and, and we are being a little more maybe risque than it was on NBC, but you know, <laughs> I don't know, the whole culture is a little more, you know, used to that. I think now, I, I don't think it's tasteless at any point. I think it's just trying to be, you know, trying to keep people's interest. 
Yeah, it's a little more real, I'd say, right? You, you yeah. don't have to tone it down for TV. Well, yep. you know what, Greg Nails? Thank you so much. I'm looking forward to seeing the rest of the season, and uh, good luck with the launches this season. Thank you so much. Nice to talk to you.